This week, we have another full slate of games to look forward to. Luckily for us, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, has us covered with so many different ways to get in on the action. DraftKings Sportsbook is based right here in the U.S., not offshore, so you know your funds are safe and secure. Plus, they have new odds, boosts, and promotions on your favorite sports every day. With DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet from wherever, whenever, you don't even have to leave your house. And for those where sports betting is not yet available, head to the DraftKings app and check out all of their daily fantasy contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SI when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's code SI to get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. This is the SI Fantasy Podcast. Head to SI.com slash fantasy for all the latest news, advice, and more to help you win your league. I look at his athletic ability, his explosiveness. He's very good in the red zone. He's able to get you those touchdowns. I mean, this guy had five touchdowns and 30 receptions. That's pretty much unheard of. Don't forget to subscribe to SI Fantasy Plus for even more content you won't find anywhere else. Every single running back in his first year as the featured back under Andy Reid, dating back to 1999, has been the RB10 or better. How can we go wrong here with the Glide, guys? Here are your hosts, Corey Parson and Michael Fabiano. What's up, everybody? It is the SI Fantasy Podcast presented by DraftKings and DraftKings Sportsbook. Ben Heisler with you for today. Uh, We started doing a few more DFS-specific podcasts here on the SI Fantasy Podcast towards the end of the week, and it was something that I wanted to continue. Thanks uh, to uh, John Boy Beats, who joined us last week, John Jackson. He was awesome, really enjoyed our conversation. And I I wanted to to stay home a little bit and talk to a guy that I haven't really had a chance to to get to know, get a chance to talk to other than just some back-and-forth emails and some tweets. And the fact of it is we, we work together, and... His article on SI Fantasy each and every week is the the staple of our DFS coverage. So Steve Renner, the original SD Chickens, is on with us today. What's up, Steve? Appreciate you hopping on, man. Hey, not a problem, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for uh, filtering through all my uh, rant <laughs> tweets and stuff and putting up with me. But, you know. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, the, the first time I edited The Ambush, and for anybody that is unfamiliar with Steve's work, you got to check it out. It comes out every Saturday, early afternoon or so over at si.com slash fantasy. The Ambush is a, a very different, unique perspective <laughs> towards uh, approaching the weekly DFS slate. But the first time I saw it and I was like, oh, damn, there's like, 7,000 words. <laughs> what, what could we possibly be covering? And I started to go through it. I'm like, okay, all right. So this is this is not your typical DFS breakdown. And I'm curious as to sort of what led you down the road of, of taking uh, a fairly different approach. I think a lot of folk, a lot of us will just say, all right, these are the quarterbacks I like. These are the running backs. And there's not right. really a lot of backstory. There's not a lot of strategy. Um, you kind of take us on a little bit of a tale each week. And it's definitely the most, one of the more unique articles uh, that I've come across. So, so tell me a little bit about how the ambush f- first got started and, and now sort of this journey that you're on with us uh, over at SI. Yeah. So, you know, probably one thing that um, might be people that have followed my stuff, um, 
uh, across different sports, they, they might look at it and say, you know, he's not really getting into the, the data or the analytics too much. And the reality is I do, you know, the basis of, of a lot of my research and, and the foundation is based upon data. But when it comes to writing about it, I, I feel like if you're just, you know, spewing out data and, and really with football where you have a limited, limited amount of games each year that we're referencing against, it, it can really get kind of, you know, boring or mundane and just kind of be like, okay, well, yeah, everybody knows this. And so I try to put my own spin on it a lot of times to say, you know, there's a balance between, you know, the, the obvious or the data plays and, and looking at that as well as mixing in what your, your feel or your gut is with things and, and football way more so than uh, baseball or hockey. The other two you know main sports that I'll write about, uh, has, has a lot of feel and just looking at things and saying, okay, I understand the matchup. I understand what the data says in this, but what could happen or what is more likely to happen? And by doing that, a lot of times I find myself in a, an angle or a viewpoint that is different than kind of what the common person is looking at. Uh, which, that's oh, I was going to say, which I like because you're not just looking for low ownership for the sake of low ownership. You're going right. down sort of your own evaluation and process. Um, and, and I think for so much of us, and, and for me first getting into this industry a handful of years ago, I think I was subject to immediately looking and, and trying to take as much information as I could, listening to as many podcasts as I could. And the more I started to think about it, I had good information. I had good statistics. I had good metrics to be able to go off of. But the the, the opinion that I was forming for each slate really, <clears throat> really wasn't my own. And I found myself getting a little bit more pissed off every time a slate wouldn't go my way because you know there would be a couple guys that I was really in on and then I would talk myself out of it and I decided to myself if I'm going to go and write about this and cover it you can go ahead and, and have whatever information you need but as long as the the conviction plays are truly your own then if they go out and they suck then you can say you know what my process was it didn't work out this time as opposed to saying I was listening to the wrong people you can actually put it on yourself uh, and I think that takes a lot of people some time to get used to exactly and you know I I tell everyone with my articles, if you are, you know, it comes out on Saturday afternoons and if, if you're, you know, reading it Saturday night or Sunday morning, and it's the first time that you're even giving any thoughts to the DFS slate and you go in and you say, okay, well, he said this quarterback and these running backs and these receivers, and you just plug it in, you're probably not going to have a lot of fun. You're not going to have a lot of success in the long run. And, and I say that to be perfectly blunt and honest, which is, nobody is going to give you the perfect amount of plays every single week. And something that I don't, tr that I, I make sure I don't do is I'm not going to come out and list 10 quarterbacks. I'm not going to list 20 wide receivers and what some people may consider is covering all your bases. And I do that not so much just for the reader, but also for myself so that when I come back to, okay, what was the foundation of what I had the most trust in for the week? These were the plays, but I tell everyone to have a little bit of a thought before they come into it. And so using an example of last week uh, at the quarterback position, if you opened up my article and you went through and saw, you know, Jared Goff was at the top, but I also had listed as in the third pairing, kind of cheated on this. I usually only do three quarterbacks, but I listed both Sam Darnold and, and Derek Carr in a game that I liked. 
And I would say if you're a reader that already had a little thought of, hey, let me go to Derek Carr this week off of the bad game against the Falcons. He gets the Jets. It's an easy spot. And you see Carr in there, then plug him in and ride with that. And the, you know, the point of that being to have really a, a narrowed approach, but like you said, you've got to have your own opinion. And then you look for uh, kind of data points or nuggets that will back it up and, and give you more confidence in those plays. When you're putting together um, just, I don't know how many lineups you typically play. I don't, I don't think you're, you're certainly don't come across as a max entry guy. In fact, I, I no. think you talk about it, uh, from some of your earlier articles that there's, you know, maybe two, three, four lineups, you know, if you really like them, those are the lineups that you're going to be playing because, you know, it's, it's, it's advantageous for a fantasy writer to say, all right, these are the guys I like. And then you go out and you max entry and it's not really transparent. Right. So I I'm with you there. And, and I like the fact that there's only a couple of lineups that you'll play week in and week out. But when you're in the process of assembling a lineup, um, obviously it's going to change from from week to week. But do you find yourself following certain trends? Are you typically paying down at quarterback and tight end? Are you usually trying to get uh, even if it's a chalk stud running back in? Like what, what when you're making sort of that initial lineup? Is there anything that you've noticed over your process over the last handful of years that you're like, yep, this this kind of is lining up right? So I, I usually will be five lineups or less. Um, for the main slate, I'll have, you know, my main lineup. I've been much better in the past couple of years about also putting in a, what I'll call a secondary lineup, but doing it on like a 1 p.m. only or 4 p.m. only. So like if my main quarterback and wide receiver pairing or a game that I'm stacking is at four o'clock, but I like a secondary play, I will basically say, okay, well, my secondary lineup is going to go into the 1 p.m. only contest. And that's kind of how I cheat, if you will, to get, more than one lineup, but yeah, it, it's under five. As far as trends are concerned, you know, in terms of salary allocation, I would say the um, the one trend for me personally is I don't punt a ton at running back. Um, now that is the position that probably has what people will call like the highest opportunity share in terms of value where, you know, the starter gets knocked out and you get like a Devonte Booker last week. Right. Um, who absolutely hate it, but I tend to look at the running back position and say, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I want someone that I'm going to trust there. And and the big reason for that is the way that DraftKings does their pricing and scoring, the value is usually going to be at that third wide receiver spot where I can get someone, let's say 4,500 or less. And because they're getting a full point PPR and on a normal size slate, there's going to be plenty of options that you can dig down and go through there and say, this guy's in a really good spot to exceed his value just based upon his reception volume. And then you get the bonus of if he gets a hundred yards receiving, you get a big play receiver like a Andy Isabella earlier this year was an example. So in that, that category, so probably the, the receiver position is where I look for value in terms of mistakes. I make the most mistake. I think, uh, and this is probably true for a lot of people at tight end. And I take the cheese way too often when you get a $2,500 tight end yeah. or a $3,000 tight end. Um, and then, you know, Darren Waller goes out and 200 yards receiving, right? <laughs> and you're darn, I, I completely whipped on that. I'm with you there. I, I think tight end, especially, and again, some of those guys, even when they're, when they're priced up relative to, you know, the rest of the field, like there's, 
if Travis Kelsey is is below 6,500, I have a very difficult time not considering him because you have to compare him at this point to to other wide receivers. Same thing with, with Darren Waller at this point. Now, again, it's a tougher right. matchup for Waller this week up against Indianapolis considering how good they've been. I think they're top five DVOA against the tight end. In the last three weeks, they've given up some points in the middle of the field, so I'll have to double-check that matchup. But uh, you also feel like he's going to be a popular play and chasing a lot of points from, from a week ago. But we'll, we'll dive into tight ends uh, in just a second. Before we start going you know, position by position, uh, are there any in particular matchups – uh, on the main slate that you feel that when it comes to a potential game stack that uh, you certainly are, are going to have your eye on. And I'm curious to hear yours and then I'll, I'll reveal a couple of mine. Yeah. So I'll give you, um, I'll give you two and a half. So the, the one that I like the most is the Falcons and the chargers. And okay. I'm with you there. This, the secondary game would be green Bay and Detroit, but the difference, the, the simple difference between the two is that, the Falcons, uh, the Green Bay and Detroit game, you've got at least one running back in Aaron Jones. Um, I haven't seen the latest update today on DeAndre Swift, but you, you have running games in those scenarios, not only for the, the, the talent of the backs, but also both defenses are really going to funnel a lot of things to, to the ground. Whereas in the Falcon Charger game, Atlanta can't run the ball. Uh, we've established that for the entire season. And the Chargers probably won't want to run the ball too much against Atlanta because they're going to have a lot of success through the year. Uh, plus we have Justin Herbert coming off of his kind of, uh, you know, welcome to the NFL from Bill Belichick who doesn't lose to rookie quarterbacks scenario. And it, it's a good bounce back spot for him. But one thing that really stood out to me here is that Atlanta, Atlanta struggles when defenses can get a lot of pressure on that run. And the games that they've had the most success in this year have come against defenses that have been towards the bottom of the league. Um, he didn't have a ton of yards against uh, the Raiders, but they moved the ball well there. He had a decent game against Carolina without the touchdowns in the rain, tore up Minnesota earlier this year, tore up Detroit for 340 yards passing. All those teams are bottom in, in terms of pressure on the quarterback. And the Chargers, despite kind of this perception that, hey, you know, with, with Bosa and some other big names there, that they're going to get pressure on the quarterback, they're actually in the bottom third of the league in that spot. So I think it's a great spot for a Matt Ryan. Julio Jones is, he's healthy. He'll play. I know he's, you know, he gets better in days off now during the week, but he's got Julio. He's got Ridley should get a bounce back spot with uh, Hurst as well. And on the Chargers side, I mean, there's plenty of passing game options. Third game back in a row now for Eckler. So I think he's going to get involved more. I just think that that game beats the other one in terms of a full game stack, as far as we're trusting the passing game. Um, the third one, which I'm not looking at both sides upon that I'll throw out there is that, that a team that I think is really just going to come out, um, and kind of dominate is going to be Tampa Bay this week. I think Tampa Bay off the bye against Minnesota is a blowout and little tease. I've, we got to get our best bets of the week. They're going to be my best bet of the week. So, um, those are the kind of the three spots that jump out at me right now. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of discrepancies that, that I have as far as games that I really like. I, I wrote up, uh, which you can find over at si.com slash fantasy. Um, uh, Justin Herbert, to me, I think has a chance to be way too low owned this week, considering the, the recency bias of, of what people remember from the game against New England. And, and I also think people will look at the Falcons collectively and say, 
Uh, this is an improved defense, and they might even go back to that Derek Carr game and say, this is somebody that should have lit them up, and he didn't. Maybe we need to move away from Justin Herbert. He's in the same um, you know, price range as guys like you know, Ryan Tannehill, Tom Brady, uh, which is another guy that I like this week as well. So I, I do think Herbert, and again, quarterbacks maybe doesn't matter as much when it comes to ownership projections, but I do think he has a chance to be fairly low on Taysom Hill last couple weeks 20 plus performances on DraftKings uh, another guy that's uh, a couple hundred dollars less so I'm with you in that game environment as well Um, I I also am looking from the side of I I do think both Tampa Bay and Minnesota are are stackable as well the the Bucks pass defense has been um, pretty atrocious the last few weeks now I, I do think the the narrative surrounding Tom Brady at the end of November will be drastically different uh, than the narrative around Brady at the end of December. And I think part of the reason that they're going to get themselves moving in the right direction um, was a, a recognizable understanding from Bruce Arians that they need to run the ball more. And, yeah. and Ronald Jones, and this is something that I wrote up over um, in my article with Michael Fabiano this week, uh, you know, Ronald Jones in the three games that he has carried the ball more than 20 times, he's had 21.8, 29.1, and 28.8 DraftKings points. And Bruce Arians made a point to say, we need to get him the ball 20 plus times. I think they can do that against Minnesota. I think that forces Tom Brady into not having to take a lot of deep ball passes where he's been just a disaster this year. Um, and conversely, you just know that that Thielen and Jefferson are seeing so many targets on a week-in, week-out basis that I think you can run it back with them. But I think the Atlanta and Chargers game is probably the one that I, I'm in most agreement with you. And, and also, you, you can tell me if you think I'm a little bit nuts here, but I think... Not necessarily stackable, but I do think you're going to see some points in the Dallas-Cincinnati game, regardless of whether you're buying into Andy Dalton revenge week or not. I'm not sure who anyone really cares about that, but um, those defenses are bad, man. And at some point, talent weighs out, and you have some really good receivers for the Cowboys, and you have some really good receivers for the Bengals, and I just think those guys are going to be able to eat this week. Yeah, so real quick on the Tampa side, I this was a spot where, so two weeks ago when they were getting... Uh, beat up by the Chiefs, you know, and this comes back to having those thoughts ahead of times. And sometimes you, you, you get blinders on and you, you, you know, you block things out that you shouldn't. But I looked at that and I said, okay, Tampa's going into their bye. They're going to come out of their bye and they're just going to steamroll whoever they play. Yeah. And I agree with you 100% on Ronald Jones. I think it's the ground game. I think it's Jones and Fournette. And I think Tampa, if they're smart, went into the bye and said, okay, the way we're doing it isn't working. Yes. Uh, and it's not helping our defense either. I look at this. I mean, defensive touchdowns are are somewhat random, but uh, the Vikings opponents the last two games have both scored on defense. Her cousins has been known to turn the ball over, and I think we're going to see Tampa's defense go back to creating sacks, creating turnovers. That doesn't mean that an Adam Thielen won't come out and, and probably catch eight or nine balls in this game, especially if they are trailing. So that's why I kind of said it's it's a half stack for me, but it's mostly. I think Tampa wins and they win easily. And you're going to look at this and say one of the Tampa running backs was a really good play at, at their price point. Um, on the Dallas Cincinnati thing, the, the big thing that stood out to me on that game is just the value on both sides of the receiver. Yes. Uh, Dallas, since they played Tuesday night, you know, Michael Gallup, um, the initial ownership projections, I, I think are way too low on him. I got to imagine he's going to come in pretty, pretty high, but you know, with like a, and target game that he had against Baltimore, and now he goes up against Cincinnati. So there's definitely enough 
smoke, if you will, and that game to, to kind of cherry pick it for value. No doubt about it. All right, so let, let's dive into some some positional plays that we're going to be in on. And again, you know, I, I encourage everybody who's listening to go back, uh, check out the ambush when it comes out on Saturday afternoon. It's not only uh, a really informative article, but uh, you'll have a few laughs along the way. You'll, you'll get out, you'll get a, a pretty solid kick out of it. It's one of my favorite articles to edit over the course of the week uh, from our guest Steve Renner here on the SI Fantasy Podcast today. All right, so. I think when you look at the top, it's another opportunity for somebody like Mahomes, who granted at 8,100, uh, is going up against a, a somewhat formidable Miami defense who's been known to take the ball away. The difference is that Mahomes doesn't really turn the ball over, uh, and you're still considering paying up 8,100 uh, at the quarterback spot. I, I think this is an opportunity to really consider those guys that are in that high $6,000 range. We talked about Justin Herbert. We talked about Tom Brady. Uh, I know you've been on Taysom Hill the last few weeks as well. Um, and then whether or not you're you're buying into to Ryan Tannehill at $6,700 when I think a lot of folks might be afraid to go back to Derrick Henry, and I think that's a mistake. Uh, this feels more so of the Derrick Henry week compared to the last few weeks when I think it was a good contrarian play to move away from him. So tell me how you're, you're looking at the quarterback spot. And I know that, um, you know, the chargers can bring some pressure against Matt Ryan, but you know, at $5,700 against a defense that's been gashed all season long, uh, he certainly has to be in the conversation and in the mix as well. Yeah. I, I, I really like Matt Ryan uh, as a Saints fan. That's right. It's hard for me to say, but edit that out. <laughs> I like Matt Ryan in this game, uh, and as we as we touched on before, both him and Herbert, and you're getting an eleven hundred dollar difference between the two. And Herbert's got a much better running game, in my opinion, to complement him than uh, Matt Ryan does. So, just from a, a funnel perspective, I, I will be shocked if Ryan does not have well over three hundred yards passing. And one of the things that I look at for a baseline, especially with someone who's under six thousand dollars or a traditional passing quarterback like Ryan is, can they give me 300 yards? Yes. Because if you're getting to that point, you've got a pretty solid floor, a good chance for a couple touchdowns. So Ryan's probably at the at the very top of my list. Uh, Herbert is, is certainly okay in that same spot, but this is a, a good example where I'm, I'm making a decision. And I'm saying, okay, in this game, I like the game enough. I don't need to like both quarterbacks. I'm going to pick one. So it's Ryan in that scenario. The second spot that's really difficult is you touched on Mahomes. I, I don't think of the big three at the top, Mahomes, Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers. I think Mahomes will be the, the third highest owned of the three, and I think it's for good reason. I think it's either Wilson or Rodgers. Rodgers against the Green Bay defense. Obviously, Devontae Adams is, is probably going to get his usual you know 100 yards receiving. He'll probably score a touchdown. That's what he does every week. Um, but there's a lot of good reasons to like Rodgers. I think the only reason people will come off of him is because Aaron Jones against Detroit should be a good spot. He had a huge game against them earlier this year. But the Russell Wilson one is the tricky one. So I don't think anybody expects the Jets to go into Seattle and, and, and beat Seattle, obviously. I don't expect anybody to think the Jets are going to keep it close. But we've had kind of this, this scenario before where you've got a heavy favorite at home and people say, Oh, they're going to kill them. And then the second half, it's just going to turn into a running game. Well, we've seen that before and it's 28 to nothing at the half. And Russell Wilson has four touchdown passes, right? He threw one to DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Freddie Swain, and, and he threw one to a back out of the backfield. And all of a sudden you're thinking, man, I really wish I had Russell Wilson. Naked. So for me, I'm leaning Wilson out of those three. Um, 
and it's more just kind of a an ownership spot and, and leaning that he'll be slightly less owned uh, than uh, obviously Rodgers and, and maybe Mahomes as well. But, you know, in terms of the third quarterback, I, it's definitely not going to be Tannehill. And we'll, we'll save that for, for the running back spot. But I don't know that, I, you know, you mentioned Taysom Hill. I don't think it's a very offensive game between the Saints and Eagles this week. Uh, I did see chance for, <clears throat> excuse me, some rain in that one there. But I don't know that I have a third one yet that I'm really – forcing to push out there. We touched on the Tampa side. I think that's going to be a ground game. Uh, I'm not trusting Kyler Murray with his shoulder too much in this, uh, in that matchup. So I guess if you really want to go to a third uh, kind of quarterback to take a shot on, it would be Matt Stafford. Uh, just looking at that green Bay Detroit game and saying, okay, there's going to be points scored in this spot. Um, people are probably going to look at Stafford and say, well, he doesn't have all his pass catchers, but he's had good games against the Packers in the past and he's at home in the dome. So uh, probably giving Matt Stafford as a, as a good third value play this week. Yeah, and, and Stafford just lit into my Chicago Bears, considering he had no Kenny Galladay, had no DeAndre Swift, and they had, I think, over 400 yards uh, through the air against what I thought was a very solid Chicago Bears secondary with Kyle Fuller and, and Jalen Johnson. And, um, you know, at one point, Buster Screen looked like he was an adequate fit in this defense, and then he turned into Buster Screen again. And it's probably a conversation for another time. So I, <laughs> I, I, I'm with you there. I, I think I'll probably end up hanging around um, in that high 6K range. Um, the, the Wilson play, I think, is really interesting, uh, considering that, especially now, um, with the Jets, you know, they don't have Greg Williams there anymore. I don't know if that's going to make any sort of substantial difference. They're still the Jets. They're still atrocious. Um, I, I do think if we're considering another game environment to, to maybe have a little bit more points than we initially would anticipate, um, we talked about the Colts and how they had been really good all year long, uh, just controlling pace, controlling tempo. But um, for whatever reason, the Raiders, when they're back home, tend to just play a, a more sound offensive game and, and not defense, maybe not so much, but you know, we, we laughed at Phillip Rivers the first half of the season. Second half, he's been pretty damn good. Like very reliable, not turning the ball over at the type of pace he was before has at least two touchdowns in his last three games, uh, getting super close to that 300 yard bonus, but just not getting quite there. Um, and he has no less than, you know, 18.8 points in his last four games. I think that might be another potential environment, both Derek Carr and Phillip Rivers, uh, if you're looking for value to move away from Matt Ryan. Are you looking at that matchup and saying, yeah, there's some chance for points? Or do you look at it and say, well, you know, anybody should be able to move the ball on Vegas and it's probably going to be Jonathan Taylor controlling the game? Well, I think sports betters will look at this one. I, I feel like every game in Vegas has gone over this year. I'm, I'm sure there's one that didn't, but it feels like they've all been high scoring. But that's it. I think a lot of that is to your point that Vegas has played well offensively at home. Now, uh, a lot of that has, has come with Josh Jacobs. The, the Rivers or the Colts side of the ball, what, what just scares me to death with Rivers is when they bring in Jacoby Brissett at, at the one-yard line, right? And <laughs> right. Things in, or they give it to the backs. The emergence of T.Y. Hilton, which was probably my biggest miss last week, um, has been interesting because I did say, okay, we're, we might start to see him start to emerge a little bit. He finally got the touchdown two weeks ago, and he's always torn up Houston. And he, of course, went off last week. But I, I think that's going to really open things up to, to go back to Michael Pittman uh, again, who is also cheap. And so 
you kind of you start to talk yourself into this and say, okay, yeah, I could see there being points in that spot. Probably not enough for me to trust the quarterbacks uh, because both teams will, will try to be balanced. But I agree, it, it's a spot to to kind of look at for offense um, in a new, you know good controlled environment out there as well. And you know, for for the Raiders, they're probably gonna have to do it through the air, which tempo wise means that you know it, it could be a good game in terms of the number of plays that are running. So I do like that spot, probably not for the quarterbacks, um, but but definitely there's going to be you know reasons to look at it for offense. Uh, you mentioned the Raiders and their propensity to hit overs at home. They're eight three and one, uh, I believe, uh, as far as over unders over the course of their record. They hit the over in their game against New Orleans at home, pushed against Buffalo, uh, and then went over uh, against Tampa. Um, it went under in the game against Denver, but that was still a 37 to 12 game. So there's still plenty of points. I think the total in that game ended up closing at 50. So missed by a point. Uh, and then of course hit the over against Kansas city uh, a handful of weeks ago in what was a, a really entertaining game. It Let's... was. Yeah. And what didn't the Denver game didn't like a bunch of guys get thrown out in that game. I know I think Tim Patrick got tossed in that game. Yeah, but... I think you're right. I, I think yeah, you're right. So it, it was hey, if you close. Like trends. That's a good trend. I, I, I think so, too. Yeah, I think you can get on board there. And again, that might be another game where maybe not a lot of folks are thinking about it as, as far as an intriguing game stack environment goes. Uh, let's move on to running backs. We, we talked briefly about it being a good opportunity to go back to the Derrick Henry well. Uh, he is $8,700 this week. Uh, probably going to be the the most heavy-owned running back of the slate. Um, I want nothing to do with Dalvin Cook this week at 9,400 going up against the Bucks defense. And you also mentioned from a game environment perspective, if we believe that the Tampa is going to go out and, and mollywop them, uh, it doesn't bode well for Dalvin Cook, even if he gets involved in the passing game a little bit more. Um, but are, are you looking at those top guys? McCaffrey at $9,200, assuming he's back against Denver. Henry in a very advantageous matchup against Jacksonville. And you, know, you have guys like Aaron Jones uh, against a bad Lions team. James Robinson always seems to be in play against Tennessee. They got gashed last week. Uh, and then Austin Eckler, who is at 7K, uh, going up against the Falcons. And that just seems like a, another juicy matchup that you can even stack him up with his quarterback. So, so tell me about your, your process when it comes to running backs for, for Week 14. So for this week specifically, I I don't know if I wrote about this last week or not, but here's some Derrick Henry numbers. This is his carries at uh, for this season. In his home games, it's been 15, 19, 21, 20, 22, 19. It's a decent amount of carries. On the road, 27, 28, 18 in the game against Cincinnati, uh, where they, they just laid an egg, 26 and 31. And, you know, I picked up on this a couple of weeks ago and looked at that and said, the, the Titans, for whatever reason, when they go on the road, are going extremely heavy towards Derrick Henry. Um, you've got them in a scenario where they just got, you know, destroyed. I know they came back and, and made it a little bit closer on the final stat sheet with, with Cleveland last week. But let's be honest, they got killed the entire game against the Browns. They're going into Jacksonville, who's been bad against the run. Uh, for multiple years running now. Henry's had huge games against them. His price is a little bit reduced at 8,700. To me, it's as easy of a play as there is this week. Um, because if he's going to see the ball 25 times, probably for five yards per carry against that defense, and with his big playability, um, I, I, I think it's as, as easy as they come at, at running back uh, this week. 
couple of the guys you mentioned, James Robinson in that same game is a little bit tempting. He's been good. Uh, but to me, 7,500 when you've got Aaron Jones for 7,600 just isn't worth it kind of in that same price range. Two guys who were um, really good last week that are both in kind of a criteria that I've always looked at for running back. So I like guys who are in that kind of 6,000 or less than $7,000 range at home and are what we would typically consider like an RB2, right, in, in a seasonal format. And we can debate if this guy's an RB2 since you're a Bears fan, but Dave Montgomery is one of them. <laughs> Uh, I, don't I, I don't. I don't blame him for for a lot of the the complete <laughs> lunacy in, I don't in either. Alice Hall. I don't either. I don't either. But and and I was not on him last week. But I think you look at him at home this week against Houston. That's a really good spot. And then Wayne Gallman has been getting it done every single week. We know the Giants are playing for something. Arizona has given up rushing touchdowns. They did last week to to the Rams. I think those are two kind of cheaper guys. In addition to Ronald Jones, who we mentioned earlier that are most likely going to make up my my second running back. You know, if this winds up being a slate that you kind of go, there is some good value at wide receiver, so you can probably go three running backs and get maybe a Derrick Henry, Eric Jones, and then one of either uh, Gallman, Ronald Jones, or David Montgomery. To me, that feels like the the right construction this week. Two guys that, are, uh, that I want to touch on as well. Eckler, I'm perfectly fine with it, but... Look, you got Keenan Allen, you got Mike Williams, you got Henry, you got Eckler. There's a lot of mouths to feed there. I don't know that it funnels one way or the other. The Falcons, you know, with Deion Jones in the middle of that defense, have been pretty good against pass-catching backs in terms of not letting them kill them. They do funnel a lot of things to, to get good receptions there, but I'm probably going to be on Mike Williams. That's why. Alvin Kamara, I know Latavius Murray set up practice today. I think he'll be fine, but there was a lot of talk – initially when Taysom took over about, hey, he's bad for Kamar and fantasy and all this. And it's not a scenario of going from like a Ferrari down to a tricycle because two of the games were against the Falcons, who Kamara has never had huge games against because the aforementioned Deion Jones. And the other one against Denver was a complete wipeout game. I mean, the Saints just ripped up the playbook and said, okay, let's get in and let's get out. And so – well, Kamara is not going to get eight or nine catches. He's probably still going to get four or five. Um, and, and they did look to him a little bit more in the passing game last week. And I know Philly's got a good rush defense, but it just feels like at 7,100, he's re they're really baiting us to say, you know what, this could be one of those games where Kamara has 120 all-purpose yards because he usually gets his yards through the air and two touchdowns at 5% or less ownership. So, I do think he's a good kind of contrarian pivot off of some of the other guys there. Um, and then one other name in that same range that is intriguing, but because I mentioned Russell Wilson, I like him more. It would be Chris Carson. I know Pete Carroll said he's good to go. They're going to give him a hundred percent run. I don't fully trust it. I think it's a Wilson game, but uh, Carson looks like he's in a decent spot uh, against the Jets. To your point on Kamara, the last two weeks, this is his ownership numbers uh, via Fantasy Labs. Uh, against Denver, uh, he was roughly 1% owned uh, across several of their, their large-scale tournaments. And then in the game against Atlanta, it shot up to 5.9% to average ownership. Um, and he was projected for about 14 points or so. He ended up getting just under 18 
still played 48 out of 78 snaps, had 15 rushing attempts. And in fact, the last three games, when everybody was worried about Kamara getting any sort of volume with Taysom Hill, he still is getting rushing volume and scored a rushing touchdown. Uh, but to your point, we, we've seen his numbers in the passing game the last three weeks slowly start to climb. So I really do like that play uh, to be able to try and get another, you know, maybe sub six, 7% ownership on Camara this week. Um, I also like Miles Gaskin and an opportunity against the Chiefs. They, I think, mm-hmm. are um, 30th uh, in, in run defense DO, in, in run defense DVOA. Uh, they've been bad in pass defense DVOA the last couple of weeks as well. Uh, so Gaskin, especially if you envision a scenario in which the Dolphins are trailing, and I do, um, that certainly looks to, to make sense. And, and then, you know, we were both on, on the Kenyon Drake train uh, last week. Didn't end up working out. But um, if you're convinced that Kyler Murray is not at 100%, and part of the reason that I love Drake last week uh, was because he led all running backs in, in fact, I think he led all players in, in red zone touches. Like when yeah. they were around the goal line, this dude was going to get the ball. And I think that's another very large possibility. And it also kind of feels like a spot too, where uh, everybody loves the Giants right now and it's still the Giants. And yes, they might be on top of the NFC East, but Arizona needs this game too. And I think if you're looking at it from a betting level, I, I might consider Arizona plus the points this week. Yeah, I, well, I'm showing Arizona currently laying points, and maybe I didn't refresh my numbers there, but I agree. I, I kind of lean Arizona finding a way to, to win this game. Uh, yeah, the Kenyon Drake, he almost had a second. You're right. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It, I think at one point I, I might have seen it as something else, but uh, I, I think right now Cardinals minus one and a half, and to me that's still probably fine with so much love on the Giants right now. I agree. I agree. And I, I bet the, a lot of the money will come in on the Giants. But yeah, Drake almost had a second. He ended up fumbling the snap with, with Kyler. And I, you know, my thought process was the Kyler's shoulder. They're just not going to let him run there. And we, we kind of saw that. So I'm, I'm good with the Drake play. Um, I do think Chase Edmonds gets involved a little bit more there as well. The other name I was going to throw out too, it looks like he's trending towards playing is DeAndre Swift. And if he is in, um, He's, he's priced up a little bit higher than people would expect him to be at 6,500. So I think he goes way overlooked against a Green Bay defense that you should be able to run against. I know the Eagles, for whatever reason, couldn't do it with Miles. Yeah, Stitt. we were both on him last week, too, and then oh, that ended up being a big disappointment. Huge disappointment. But um, I, I think you have to look at DeAndre Swift in that spot for for the Lions um, because that's really the the process to, to beat them, uh, to beat the Green Bay defense. So. He's, he's the main guy, and, and if, if he's out, then I'll, I'll look at Stafford a little bit harder. But, um, yeah, the other one last thing on Kamara, I, I don't – look, if, if I thought it was a complete smash spot for Kamara, I would, I would make him number one. I hope he doesn't have just a boring game because the way his price is trending down, they play the Chiefs next week. And if we get Kamara even cheaper than 7,100, <laughs> back. I mean, that's – it's going to make him like a 70% owned play. Which, yeah, it's a Yahtzee. Yeah, it won't be fun. So. <laughs> from from the wide receivers, we, we touched on a handful of these guys. Uh, Devontae Adams is still at 9,300, and I suppose you can even make the argument that that's 
that's not high enough considering his consistency and his volume and his ability to get touchdowns every week. Tyreek Hill comes in at 8,500 for the Chiefs on the road against Miami. Uh, we mentioned Keenan Allen, Julio, both in, in great spots if you're looking at, to stack that game. Uh, if it's a rust game, then I suppose you certainly have to consider paying up for DK Metcalf, although he is the third most expensive wide receiver on the slate at 8,400. Um, a couple other intriguing options. Uh, you know, we mentioned Kyler Murray and Arizona possibly being a little bit underlooked. I think from a low ownership perspective, uh, DeAndre Hopkins saw the amount of targets and volume that he needed last week. Uh, and while he didn't end up winning the game, I, I thought even though uh, he only finished with eight catches for 52 yards, he was still targeted 13 times. Uh, I don't think that goes away uh, against James Bramberry or whoever is going to be covering him on the Giants. So I, I think he could be a sneaky play even at 7,600. Uh, trying to figure out what's happening with, with Carolina right now, because I, I think at the moment, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel are both on the COVID list. That leaves Robbie Anderson at $6,200. Um in a good spot, I think, against Denver this week. You know, the Broncos' defense, um, I think, has put up a fight in these last handful of games in, in pretty tough spots. Uh, so I always think he's somebody to consider as well. Um, there, there's a lot of intriguing plays, and I feel like this week in particular, Steve, you, you got more high-priced guys, I, I think, that we need to be considering uh, more often than a lot of the value plays that typically jump out. Yeah, so there aren't many value plays like you mentioned, especially at, um, you know, like the tight end. Well, tight end, there's always a bunch of cheap guys, but running back there, it hasn't opened up as much this week. Right. We, we talked about a few of them in the, the Cincinnati and Dallas game. Like T. Higgins is 4,800, uh, Michael yeah. Gallup 3,800. So that might be an opportunity, but, but as far as the, but the not guys. not as much as in, in weeks past. Correct. Right. Um, now, the, the Denver-Carolina game, that's a game I've, I've crossed off, and that's something I try to do is I, I cross off teams or games because – I'm like, look, if, if the team that was seventh on my list beats out the first six, then I just had a bad week, right? So I'm not going to worry about that. But the you we didn't do any show prep, and you just hit on probably, I think, the most important player of the week, and that is DeAndre Hopkins. So you and I both like Arizona in a game that they really need. And if you look back at Hopkins, yes, Bradbury is good, but he's had probably – the, the hardest stretch of games in terms of number one receiver against number one quarterback in, in his matchup. So he, he's had, um, in no particular order, uh, Tredavious White, um, he had Stephon Gilmore, he had Jalen Ramsey, and then John Blank on the other, as far as I should have wrote it down. But he's had four of his last five weeks have been against, um, oh, Xavier Howard, against like elite number one corners. And so he's basically going to line up against Bradbury and be like, Okay, he's good, but <laughs> I, I actually have a, have a shot this week. The problem is, and I'm, I'm going to highlight this in my article, there's, there's a really good next-gen stat out there about Hopkins right now over the last three weeks and the routes that he has run, and none of them have gone beyond 10 yards down the field. And I just look at that and I say, knowing what we know about Mur Murray's shoulder um, getting banged up, he's not running near the goal line, is there a lot more there than they're letting on to that said it's a great spot for them to just drop back and say we're going to get the ball to hopkins the entire game much like week one when he got what 18 targets i think mm -hmm. we could see one of those games here this week and with everybody going over to Devonte adams i think it makes a great spot to look at uh deandre hopkins is probably the the top number one receiver 
Plus, in the case of Adams, I think you've got a great kind of leverage scenario here where you can look at a guy like an Alan Lazard who has that big play ability down the field. And for whatever reason, in my mind, all I think about Rodgers in Detroit is him just chucking the ball 50 yards down the field. So to me, I, I think you've got pivots off of Devontae Adams in addition to an Aaron Jones there. So Hopkins is my favorite high-end guy. If we go to the low-end spot, for me, it's Mike Williams at 4,700. Um, big physical receivers have given the Falcons problems over the years. He doesn't catch 100% of his targets, but he does have some big playability down the field as well. So I think 4,700 in a potential shootout is a really good spot. And then, again, I'm not seeing a lot of buzz around Michael Gallup yet, but I, I think as people gravitate towards that at 3,800, which is a decent play, CeeDee Lamb is going to get completely overlooked at 4,800 for the Cowboys this week in the game that we touched upon as, as having good value. So I think you can get away with maybe two mid-range receivers into your lineup this week because there isn't an obvious value as opposed to normally just one mid-range uh, wide receiver. And then going back to my Matt Ryan play, he doesn't score a lot of touchdowns, I know, but Julio Jones at 6,600 is a very tempting play. Uh, he's healthy. Matt Ryan's going to look to give him the ball. So those are probably my core receivers that, I've, that I'm looking at right now. Full full Voltron stack. Andy Dalton, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup. Run it back with T. Higgins. And then after you win all the money, you go and just throw up because you played a full Andy <laughs> Dalton Voltron stack. But there is value in that game. And I do think you can do a, a couple of intriguing one-offs or, or 1v1s there. Um, so it, it's good to see that those are also options that, that you and I are on the same page about. That's always good to to be able to go over. Yeah, the one thing on the, the Bengals side, I do lean more Tyler Boyd, and I need to go back and double-check just who's been lining up where. But, I mean, the, the slot has been killing the Cowboys <clears throat> most of the season. So he would probably be the guy that I would look at for – for the Bengals the most. Uh, not that I'm not a, a big T Higgins fan. Um, the, the Seattle side, you mentioned, you know, Metcalf and, and Lockett, but so I think that's where we look at the fact that it's a blowout and we say, okay, I'm not going to take the guys who need the volume. I'll just take the quarterback because the quarterback will, if he's in a scenario where he can spread it around to a bunch of different guys and you're right about the Greg Williams thing, the jets are probably not going to blitz the entire game. Right. I <laughs> mean, they're going to come out and say, we're not blitzing the whole game. And Wilson's just going to be like, all right, I'll, I'll take my time. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't had time to throw all year. So this will be a, a welcome opportunity for him. I mean, he's going to be picking guys out of the stands if there were <laughs> touchdowns too. So um, in fact, probably one of my deep sleeper calls this week might be, you know, going back to the Freddie Swain well from early in the season, but I would look at, at Wilson to, to get the exposure there. Um, you know, in terms of, we've touched on Thielen as kind of a good volume guy. Um, and the other one would be going back to the, to that Colt game. Uh, I think it's a great bounce back spot for Michael Pittman. Um, the Raiders secondary, you know, they got tore up last week by the Jets, specifically Crowder had a really good game early on. So look to go back to Pittman, who was a very popular play last week. And I guess you could say he disappointed. Um, I think he only put up like uh, eight total fantasy points. So look at Michael Pittman, who is right around $5,000 on DK. And, and again, you get, you have the ability this week to, to play like a, a Pittman, a Williams, and either a Gallup or a Lamb, or like you said, a Higgins, uh, or maybe Boyd. And you've got these 5,000 or less receivers who, if they get five catches for 50 yards and maybe a touchdown, 
they're giving you three X. So mm -hmm. you can do that, pay up for a Henry, pay up for an Aaron Jones and give yourself a really good floor lineup, if you will. Let's move on to what has been for, for both of us somewhat of a pit of misery, and that's the, the tight end spot. Uh, obvious price discrepancies with the guys at the top with Travis Kelsey at $7,400. Uh, just so good, so reliable. Pretty much you're, you're looking at eight catches for three consecutive weeks. Um, he's had over 100 yards in four of the last five weeks, and the one week he didn't hit it was you know, eight receptions for 82 yards on the road against Tampa Bay. So Kelsey always going to be a solid play regardless of the price. Darren Waller uh, always is going to see plenty of targets, just a matter of whether or not he gets into the end zone and, and how many yards come along with it. No less than seven targets in the last three weeks. In fact, um, you know the game against Denver, he had five targets, and that was his low uh, since the end of September, a five-target game at the tight end spot. So he's available at $6,800. Once you go down to those lower tiers, TJ Hawkinson hanging around at 5K against Green Bay. You have Evan Ingram at 4,300, and that's where you're really going to see the bulk of these guys. Mike Kosecki at 4,500 for Miami. He's got back-to-back -back touchdowns. Hunter Henry seeing plenty of red zone volume as well. Robert Tanyan. Tunyon or what, however you pronounce his last name, uh, good matchup against Detroit as well. Um, and, you know, and Logan Thomas really uh, had an outstanding game up against a, a good defense in Pittsburgh as well. Had a season-high nine targets, caught all nine of them for 98 yards and a touchdown. He also has back-to-back -back touchdowns. He comes in at 3,300 because the prices did not move. Probably I would say, though, Steve, that Thomas with that price point is set to be maybe the highest owned tight end on the slate. Perhaps him and Kelsey share that honor this week. Maybe Waller gets involved as well, but, but who are some of the plays that you have your eye on heading into week 14? Yeah, Thomas, I'll, I'll start there. He, he's an interesting one. I, I, I did not have him circled too much, but you're right. He will at that price point be uh, fairly popular coming in because they played on Monday and he, he looked phenomenal and I actually had really good, uh, Monday only lineup that got saved by Dawson Knox, who of course was playing against the team that uh, Logan Thomas is now going up against. So I get it. It makes sense. He looked really good. They're obviously going to him a ton. And at 3,300, you're getting a pretty easy play. Some people are talking about, all right, Jordan Reed on the other side, revenge game, yada, yada, yada. I'm not buying into that too much, but yeah, it's another week where I'm going to say, yeah, Kelsey's great. Now I'll play someone else. Yeah, Waller, you know, at, on DK, I'm not playing him there. I did have him on other sites last week. But, um, you know, Gasecki to me, I think that's a, a really good spot. Miami is, you got to think, is, is going to, um, you know, have to move the ball down the field against against that Chiefs uh, offense to, to keep up with him. And he, he had double-digit targets last week. As you mentioned, scored twice in a row, 4,500. It's a it's a really good spot for him. Hunter Henry and Hayden Hurst are both on my radar, but it's another spot where I'm like, okay, I like the game. I got to pick where do they rank on, you know, my my favorite plays within that game, and it's it's probably not at the very top, but it it's going to be probably between for me the the Gasecki and down to that Logan Thomas spot. The problem with me at tight end is sometimes this is where, you know, I get my blinders and I get the Saints fan in me and I look and say, you know, Adam Troutman is getting more increased usage. He's still min price. I look at that, but it's a mistake, right? Because you want to get a guy who's going to get you 12 or more fantasy points. And and for me, Gusecki is probably the one I feel the most confident in. Um, if, you know, with Galladay still being banged up for the Lions, I do think TJ Hawkinson becomes uh, a good play, but that's going to be, 
100% contingent upon if uh, DeAndre Swift is in or out. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of agreement there as well for going again you know, to the, to the Dallas-Cincinnati game. Dalton Schultz at $3,500 is somewhat intriguing. I, I feel like he's catching everything, too. He's, uh, in the last two games, he's caught all nine of his targets, uh, gotten to the end zone in the game against the Vikings, ended up having six targets in that game. So he's had no less than than four targets in his last six games, last seven games, I should say. Um, so for somebody that I, I thought was going to be worth pretty much nothing when, when Dak Prescott left, uh, he certainly has found a role where, you know, conversely on the other side for the Cowboys, you're never really sure who it's going to be each week. You know that Schultz is going to be somewhat of a high floor play and at $3,500. Um, I, I don't mind that one bit. Uh, before we get out of here, are there any defense plays that you're intrigued by that uh, we, we talked about how the, the Bucks have a chance to just completely blitz Kirk Cousins, possibly even force him into a pick six, a, a bad fumble, uh, and capitalize on that. And they're only 2,900. So I would imagine the two of us are, are likely going to be looking at Tampa Bay. Uh, it's a good correlation play as well if we both like Ronald Jones to be able to have sort of that many stack in our lineups as well. But outside of Tampa, uh, tell me another defense or two that you might have your eye on. Your Bears. I like your Bears this week against. Really? The, okay. Yes, against Deshaun Watson, um, out in in the cold and the elements. I at earlier this week on Monday I saw snow. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case um, for for the Sunday for the weather up there. But Houston, obviously with no Will Fuller now, um, we saw and Brandon Cooks is you know one play away from being injured for the entire game. Uh, the Bears have a, a really good pass defense. So they still have a good pass rush. They should be able to get after Watson, who has been known to hold on the ball for a long time. And I think at $3,000, the Bears give you a lot of the same upside that the the Saints at, at 3800 get also against the bad offensive line. And, and the Saints are getting a, a ton of pressure too. So, you know, to me, New Orleans is in – a, a very good spot, um, but you know what Philly does under Jalen Hurts is is going to be questionable. Um, I expect him to to take sacks, maybe not as many as Carson Wentz has been taking. Uh, but then you look at okay, if I can save almost a thousand dollars and get a defense that I think is in a very similar spot, I would like to look at the Bears. And, and for me, Chicago is going to be able to control the ball on the ground, so Houston won't have it a ton and when they do they're going to pass and, and probably do some bad things with that um i'm not there's a defense that's very chalky though between tampa and chicago and i don't like it at all and that's seattle and i know i said i don't expect the jets to do anything in this game but it just doesn't give me the same upside feel that chicago and, and tampa bay potentially have against uh, the teams that they're facing against I, I know the jets are a little bit incompetent but um, I think that's a defense this week is going to be a really good spot to come off of the, the chalky, you know, Seahawks defense and look at some others that can give you some good play. But it's, I feel very confident in the three that I mentioned. Um, so that's probably where it's going to, you know, stop it in for me this week. I, I don't see anybody else that's really below the, the Tampa level that is worth uh, taking a shot at. There's probably going to be some noise about, okay, Dallas against the Bengals and the Bengals against Dallas, but I think that comes back to don't don't play bad teams, and those are bad defenses that can really burn you. Yeah, I I think San Francisco could be an intriguing play. Um, I know that they looked really bad 
against Josh Allen last week. He, he lit him up, but collectively over the course of the season with all of their injuries, they had still been, for the most part, a top-five defense. Uh, I think it's a good opportunity for them to bounce back. That's another team that can still force some turnovers. Uh, may not be able to get a lot of pressure on Alex Smith, but um, it's not he's not the same mobile guy that you know from his time in Kansas City. So I still think he'll take some sacks. He still could turn the ball over a couple times. Um, and Washington's offense isn't going to just chuck it around the field. I don't think they have a chance to score a ton of points in this game. It might be a bit more grinded out. So I, I think for 2,700, they're they're in play. Um, you make really good points about Chicago, and I would imagine it's a combination of recency bias on my end, playing them in a lot of lineups when they were up against Detroit in a game that they needed to win at home, and then they found a way to to lose a 10-point lead with about four minutes left to go, uh, with Detroit missing multiple key starters on that team. Um, and also, it's it's an opportunity for Deshaun to go out and just hang one on a team that should have drafted <laughs> him uh, back in 2017. When he was readily available, there was a great report from the Chicago Tribune earlier this week from Dan Wiederer talking about how the Bears attended his pro day. And then afterwards, they went out to dinner and headed to North Carolina to wine and dine Mitchell Trubisky. They didn't even talk to Deshaun Watson. And um, I'm still a little bit perplexed, uh, angry, disappointed. There's there's a lot of of feelings running through my head at this point. But uh, I I just don't know if I can pull the trigger. I, I get it. And... You know, there's. I don't know if you saw that that thing on Twitter throughout the course of the last couple of days. You know, describe describe your favorite team without saying who your favorite team is. And yes. I think the way to yeah. describe the the Chicago Bears is, uh, you know, we're more known for weather as opposed to how good our team has been. Bear weather is what people yeah. talk about with the Chicago Bears, and not the fact that they haven't had a real quarterback since since Jim McMahon or, you know, they still show Sid Luckman in graphics. And, and anyway, that's again, conversation for another time, but I, I think Watson uh, incredibly motivated to, to do well against the team that uh, should have clearly had him or at least Mahomes in the early portion of that draft. Steve, this is a lot of fun, man. For anybody that uh, hasn't had an opportunity to check out the ambush, I really encourage you guys to check it out, become an SI pro member. It's over at si.com slash fantasy si.com slash gambling there's a little bit of everything in the ambush it's a full dfs breakdown um there's also some plays there's a little bit of q a at the end uh some gambling picks as well so uh, it's really a, a one-stop shop and you know i also encourage anybody listening to head on over to si.com slash fantasy uh my article with michael fabiano with some of our low ownership plays and values for DraftKings is out this week sean child's projections are outstanding as well really the whole team uh, has been busting their ass over the course of the year to try and deliver a bunch of really good content so steve this was fun man thanks for doing it and uh let's let's get you back soon thank you i appreciate you for having me on